dating back to Babylonian times, named Bagul, the eater of children. Did you say eater? Yes, uh, of, of children. Oh, yeah, it's me. I'm opening. <laughs> God damn opening it, Hunter. For you. <laughs> Hello and welcome, film buffs. I'm Hunter Van Lyra, but I'm joined by my co-host and fellow a cinephile, Zachary Droll. Hello, we are box hello. office losers. And we're still in Spooktober, everybody. Each week in October, every Friday, we're going to be talking about a scary movie. And then we have a special surprise at the end of the month. An extra episode. You'll find out what it is. Ooh. So, if you guys uh, have not been listening, we covered Scream last week. Now, each and every week, we're going to dive into the movie sphere and watch and review any and all films of Gracious Silver Screen. I forgot about that part when I was doing the opening before. I was talking too much about Spooktober, but I got it in there. (laughs) I'm off my game today. Sinister really fucking fucked me up, dude. (laughs) Yeah, that's the film we are covering today, guys, is Sinister. Uh, One of Blumhouse's actually first few horror films outside of the um, Paranormal Activity series. Yeah, this is what really got Blum- these this like this one and Paranormal Activity really got Blumhouse on the map, and then they yes. of course kept going. And also the Purge then, put them on the map too. Yeah, I say Purge put them up there too. That was the year after though, yes. in twenty thirteen, with also with also Ethan Hawke in it. So that was kind of cool. They were able to like get him again or produce yes. a movie that he was in again. Ethan Hawke's a great actor, dude. He's going through this thing, and I'm just like, oh man, here we go. <laughs> so. Uh, for our listeners, this is like not my first time seeing this film. I I saw this back when it initially released on DVD, but Hunter, this was your first time seeing this movie. Yeah, man, this thing was crazy. Oh, sorry for the yawn. You know, this movie was absolutely ridiculous. I um, this is actually the first time I actually had mid movie notes, which I will talk about once we are done with our uh, regular notes section, and no, all with our plot section because I don't want to spoil anything. Yes. So right when we're done with our plot section, I'll go through my mid-movie notes. (laughs) They're just quick, erratic little things, and then you have your own little note to talk about. Yes, I do. Oh, um, before we get into it, our boy Eddie from uh, IP Chapter 2 was Officer So-and-so. What? Really? Remember grown-up Eddie from from IP Chapter 2? That's So-so? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. That's awesome. I recognized I ho- his face, but I didn't. I couldn't place him anywhere. I was hoping for us to make jokes, but I guess not. Damn it! <laughs> you can still make the jokes now that I know it's him. <laughs> He's sitting there. It's a goddamn gazebo. Um, <laughs> you know, I didn't know it was him. I was like, I recognize this motherfucker's face, but I recognize a lot of faces because I watch yes. a lot of movies. So I was like, ah, I'll figure it out. And then you told me it was him. That's cool. It's awesome. Yeah. He sticks to his horror roots because he's also in Sinister too. I think he's one of the only returning cast members in Sinister 2. I need 2. to watch Sinister 2. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I need to watch it. Maybe we'll watch Sinister 2 at some point. I, I'm going to watch it personally. Yeah, so let's get into the overview of yes. this film. Zach, do you want to do it? Yeah, I'll do it. Sinister is a 2012 supernatural horror film directed and co-written by Scott Dickerson. Derrickson. The film stars Ethan Hawke, Juliet... Oh, wow. Rylance? Rylanson? Yeah? Yeah, Rylance. Uh, James Ranson, Fred Thomas, and Vincent... Uh, D'Onofrio. D'Onofrio. Thank you. I'm not going to last names. I'm going to first names. <laughs> uh, the plot revolves around a true crime writer, um, El- Elson um, Oswald, 
who discovers um, in the attic of his new home a box of home movies. Uh, oh, yeah, getting, getting more and more gruesome as he watches them and at all depicting uh, the families of their victims getting killed. Yeah, yeah snuff film style. It's fucking crazy. Yes. <laughs> this is, uh, Scott Derrickson actually did um, Doctor Strange. Really? Yeah. He's supposed to do Doctor Strange 2, and then he wanted to make it a horror movie, and they told him no. So, so they got Sam Raimi to do it, and I'm like, they're going to make it a horror movie now. <laughs> like, So, um, I, I kind of like, you know, like, we're going to be talking about this early. Like, so the, each bit of these um, Super 8 films, they fuck me up hard. <laughs> Because like yeah. they're just like I, I hate I I love found footage films, but also I hate the fact of which when it's like kind of like very very gruesome. You don't like snuff films? I get it. Yeah, <laughs> snuff films are fucked up because it's a film that depicts actual murder. There's a movie that came out. I think it was last year or this year. It's called Green Light. It's about this young new director who wants to break into Hollywood, and this guy he's a producer. He wants to make a film. But he wants to make a snuff film, but he doesn't tell the director about that until the last scene they shoot where he actually executes a guy on screen. So, yeah, it's supposed well, to be a horror movie. It's also it like that, um, the, the, the independent film, Will You Be My Cat, uh, a film what? plan. What? What is that film called? I think it's Will You Be My Cat, right? That is fucking weird, bro. Will You Be My Cat? That's crazy. Uh, uh yeah, no, no, no. Actually, it's called um, "Be My Cat," a film for Anne. It pretty much um, it's a film about a guy who is obsessed with um Anne Hathaway's Catwoman, and he then kind of just like wants to get kind of like Anne Hathaway lo look likes, and then he kills them and such. What the fuck? When did that movie come out? Uh, twenty fifteen. Jeez, is it like a real film, like a feature it's, film, or um, was it, it like a... It's indie? like, it's an air quote found footage, but it's a mockumentary, in a sense. Oh, that's awesome. It, it has no comedy in it, but it's a mockumentary. Well, yeah, you can still be a comedy. I mean, you can still be a mockumentary and not have comedy. I, I, I might I might find a way for us to, to watch that sometime soon. I don't know. Be my cat? Be my cat. It's called Be my cat. Okay, I'm definitely I adding that to the... Um, be my cat, a film for Anne. Jesus Christ. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Apparently, if you if you leave a review for it on Letterbox, the, the the director might get might like leave a comment on your review. That's cool. Because <laughs> he, he did that to one of my friends. He's like, watch my weird ass cat movie, and you're like, okay. No, no he's like, oh wow, well, I'm glad you enjoy the film. But we're getting off topic. I will read uh, the I'm first two say. paragraphs of notes <laughs> as well, just so I can redeem my illiteracy. So, yeah. And remember, Derrickson, Cargill, Baguli. Those are the words you Cargill, need. Cargill, Baguli. Well, no, I, I might just call him Boogie at this point. I, I might That's call him fair. Mr. Boogie. Uh, Sinister is a 2012. Oh, I read that. Uh, writer, <laughs> uh, writer C. What? C. Robert Cargill. Okay, so Robert Cargill says that the inspiration of Sinister came from a nightmare he experienced after seeing The Ring, in which he discovered a film in his attic depicting the hanging of an entire family. The scenario became the setup for the plot of Sinister, 
In creating a villain for the film, Cargill conceptualized a new take on the Boogeyman, calling the entity Mr. Boogie. Cargill's idea was that the was that the creature would be both terrifying and seductive to children. What? Yeah. What? It was weird. He doesn't look seductive at all. He's not wearing anything sexy. <laughs> the children luring them, creepy mask, <laughs> luring oh. them to their dooms as a sinister Willy Wonka-like figure. I love how dude they describe him like Willy Wonka in like four or five of these notes. I'm like, this motherfucker's not Willy Wonka. You need to stop. Okay, he's <laughs> um, he's not even really in the film, which is kind of cool. Uh, yeah, because like he's I and and when he when he is in the film. It, it it shocks you. It kind of it it, it it makes you like uneasy. Yeah, I feel I um I think Sinister Two has more boogie in it. See, I I, I don't I like that. I I, I, I like positive, but I, I I like the fact of which that we don't get to see him that much. We just yeah, we we, we see him for, for like like a brief second in each film. I I feel like going back rewatching the film and seeing if I can see him in the Super Eights before we realize that, that he's there. I don't think he actually shows up in that before they do it. I think um, once he sees the, uh, like, because the whole, uh, somewhere in the notes or in the plot, it says once he sees the um, the boogeyman, he can't the boogeyman comes to get you. So I think after he, like, starts looking into it a little bit more, he sees one image and then the boogeyman keeps showing up in all the other ones. I don't think it's initially there because I was looking keen-eyed as well. I was like, I know what the guy looks like because I've seen the image all over the place. I'm like, I know this guy looks like fucking yeah. a melty face man. So I was looking for it in everything and I couldn't find it. And then all of a sudden, Ethan Hawke starts zooming in on the pictures and then he shows up and I'm like, mm, editing. <laughs> I said, I, hey, I, th- th- this film for me though is still w- one of my favorite horror films. Yeah, it's like, really it's still, it still makes me like, I, I've seen this, but I go like, ah, oh, here comes the part that's going to make me jump scare. Yeah. Yep, here it is. Huh. And then that final scene where he jumps out right at the end, I was like, oh! I was like, I no, thought we were that, good! <laughs> that did not get me. It's always the the one scene that I'll talk about. Yeah, we'll get to it. Uh, Cargill and co-writer Scott Dickerson uh, ultimately decided to downplay the creature's alluring nature. <laughs> only, um, only, uh, was that? In, in, I don't know glasses on. Is, is that intimidating? In, in, Intimating. Intimating, thank you. I'm illiterate, folks. Take a <laughs> shot. Uh, how it manipulates the children into murder. Uh, in future developments, Mr. Boogie, the pair had lengthily discussed about its nature, uh, deciding not to make it a demon, but rather a pagan dentity, uh, de- uh, deity. deity. I knew what it was. Trying to get it out. <laughs> In order to place it um, outside the conceptual scope of any other particular religion, uh, con- uh, consecutively, consequently, consequently, thank you, the villain was given the proper name, Bogulu or Mister Bookie, so I can pronounce it a lot easier. I did not <laughs> say anything. Google, fuck off. <laughs> it was like, did you say Google? It was like, no, I said Baguli. <laughs> Baguli. Bogulu. Hey, Rickettoni. <laughs> If only the children characters in the film referring to it as Mr. Boogie. 
Yeah, that was fucking creepy, man. Every time, like, you'd see the kids' drawings of Mr. Boogie, I'm like, pass, bro. I was like, so, this motherfucker's underwater. <laughs> so, when we first kind of, like, um, when, when the daughter sees kind of, like, the, I guess, uh, st- like, uh, she sees Stephanie for the first time, there's a painting on the wall of the family being hung and yeah. Mr. Boogie. Yeah. Now, was that there, like, in her head, or was that always there? Because they, it's never brought up. No, I think, um... Yeah, no, you might be right. I mean, I don't think it was... I don't think the painting was in her head. I think the little girl was in her head. I think that was supposed to... I mean, I guess they're both in her head, yeah. Cause, because like, I like, think that comes from... I, I think that was a Boogie, like, quote-unquote, taking the daughter. Well, okay, he, he he's just manifesting himself there, because... Because we we do see that she is good at art. Yeah. Air quotes good at art. She probably it wasn't really anything to buy. Just has some real artists on set. But um, uh, like with there, like if that's an actual painting on her wall, why isn't it brought up? Yeah, because they make a comment about it later on, and like how the um the boy. Drew. No, no, no the, the no the daughter. Oh yeah, the boy paints it in the uh, in the classroom. But no, Drew, no, with permanent marker on the whiteboard. Yeah, no, but the little girl says that she drew a picture of uh, someone Stephanie. else. Yeah, Stephanie in um, the living room wall because yes. Stephanie didn't want a picture of her in the uh, the other wall because it was her, brother's, was her room. brother's room. And I was like, that's fucking creepy. Stop, please. <laughs> And to be honest, okay, I, I I see like where you come from though that like they, they should have used the the brother, but also the girl. I think she's been in a couple of horror films before. She's a good like demon talks to her type thing. No, I, I'm not saying she was bad for the role. I'm not saying they chose wrong. They chose I, the wrong actor. I'm saying well, no, like, no. The I, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, but overall, like if I'm going off by the the the, the character itself, because it's it's your cliche. Like the youngest kid of a, of a protagonist family gets the supernatural shit happen to them. Oh, no, because I don't think they ever say um, it has to be the youngest kid in the movie, which is why I thought it was gonna be the son who got possessed, but it ended yeah. up being the little the, the daughter. It might actually be the little girl. Uh, it might actually be the youngest sibling or the youngest kid that gets um, possessed. Well, no, well, it, it it wouldn't make sense then because the. A uh, film reel where the uh, boy slits his family's throat. He's the oldest of the family. Mm. I- I'm just saying, like, hey, like, I-, I-, I, I see where you came from. It should have been the, the eldest. They were boy. hyping him up to be creepy because he had two scares. But um, like, hey, like, I, I see, I see it as an absolute like win, to be honest, because like she, like, because the actress herself has played that role before. Yeah, and like she and like hey I, I i like seeing stuff like that because it's always like hey at least i can dispend my my, my disbelief for a bit mm-hmm. yeah no i got you um <clears throat> i will continue on with the notes so the film premiered at the sxsw festival southwest there you go i was gonna say it's a film festival and it was released in the United States on October 12th, 2012, and in the UK on October 5th, in 2012. Sinister received positive reviews 
praising the acting, direction, music, cinematography, and atmosphere, but received some criticism for its use of jump scares and horror cliches. The film uh, was a box office success, grossing $87.7 million against the budget of only $3 million. Wow. That's really That's really good. The film's financial success spawned a sequel, Sinister 2, which was released in August 21st of 2015. Dude, the budget was only $3 million. Are you kidding me? That that makes sense because like everything was shot in one area. It's basically – it's two locations. It's the house – it's both houses. Yes. So when you're only um, filming in two locations, like besides paying the actors, like you need to rent the houses, you need to rent the cop cars and the uniforms – and get a, a Super 8 film camera, and that's it. Other than so, that, the house is there. So, um, oh, and also, fun note, so every bit of Super 8 film that was, like, used, so, like, er, er, all, all the murders... Yeah, I got that down here Super somewhere. 8, it was actually filmed on Super 8 film, on Super 8. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's um, one of the last notes I got on here. But, um, what was I gonna say? Uh, my brain is short-circuiting, uh... Um, I was watching a, a review today about this film because I, I like going back and watching stuff. And someone said, okay, what, what they did was they, they cut out all the horror movie cliche stuff. So that means, mm. like, the first initial jump scare of the boy in the box. Yeah. And a bunch of other stuff. And he said if you cut out all of that stuff, th- the film becomes even more terrifying. Because it's just some guy walking around his house thinking it's haunted. And then all of a sudden, fucking... The fucking Mr. Boogie shows up and starts fucking getting the daughter. Yeah. With all the kids. The the only jump scare he kept in was, of course, from the lawnmower. Well, because that's that's not a boy jump scare. The boy had two jump scares. The one where he came out of the box, the one where he's in the bushes. The the, the bushes fucked me up, though. Well, because that's where we know Mr. Boogie was. So I thought it was going to be Mr. Boogie fucking jumping out. And then I was like, nah, he's probably not going to jump out. He's more of a ghost than a physical manifestation. Yeah. So, yeah. <clears throat> in crafting a look for Bagul, Cargill initially kept in the idea of a sinister Willy Wonka before realizing that audiences might find it silly and kill for a potential film series. Okay, that makes more sense. Because <laughs> I was like, this motherfucker was not Willy Wonka-esque at all. Uh, he looking was more for a giant depth Willy Wonka. Yeah, <laughs> that's a creepy vision in itself. Looking for inspiration, Derrickson typed the word horror into Flickr and searched through 500,000 images. He narrowed the images down to 15, including a photograph of a ghoul, which was tagged simply Natalie. Cargill, particularly sh- struck by Natalie, decided, what the f- <laughs> what if it's just this guy? He and Derrickson contacted the photographer and purchased the rights of the photo for only $500. God, fuck. Derrickson explained that the image appealed to him because it reminded him of the makeup and costumes worn by performers in black metal, which makes sense why the, the guy's got the white face paint. He looks like a Kiss uh, knockoff. Not not even. He, he kind of looks like uh, that one metal cartoon back in the day. Metalocalypse? I think so, yeah. Uh, where was I? Um, while remaining unique enough to uh, so not to be directly linked to the metal genre. Derrickson had previously researched black metal while looking for inspiration for Bagul's symbol, which is ritualistically painted at the scene of each of the film's murder sequences. Some of the background music for these murder sequences was taken by ambient tracks by bands associated in the Norwegian black metal scene, including Olver and August. <laughs> That's really cool that uh, they, they took a lot of, like, folk, not folk metal, like, 
foreign metal and black metal stuff and weaved it into this franchise uh, film, even if it's not directly like full on metal going on. Like the guy looks like he's from a metal band or a metal cover, and the music is like eerie metal without the lyrics. So I think that's really cool. I think you have just a little bit more to read off of, and then it's the next paragraph, right? Or is that no? I finished off. It's the last paragraph. Um, so I'm currently on Flickr just trying to see, like, what they found. God. Well, you're going to look through 500,000 images. Just look on Google and type in Sinister Natalie. You'll probably find it. That is true. But, yeah, going through, like, Flickr, though, and seeing, like, horror, a lot of things are kind of disturbing to look at. Oh, that's why I'm not doing it. <laughs> There's, like, a, a dude, and he's just all over this thing. Okay. Um, continuing on with the notes, though, because like I, I'm interested. Like, uh, wow, five hundred dollars just for that image. Yeah. Fuck. I wish I got paid five hundred dollars to have my image used for an eighty-seven million dollar film. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be pissed. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like the whole thing. So back in here's uh, me doing comic explaining. So back in the day, um. Marvel used to have these letters in the back of their books, and some of the books still have them. But they used to have, like, pitch your ideas to Marvel, and maybe we'll use them. So back in the day, um, after they introduced Venom into the universe, one one of the fans was like, hey, what if Spider-Man gets the Venom suit, like, the symbiote gets on him, and this is what his costume looks like, and it's the black suit Spider-Man that we all know and love. Marvel liked that idea so much, they paid that guy $300, maybe, Three hundred dollars oh, for the rights to using the suit, and it made them millions of dollars. Like the black but suit like, is everywhere. But the, let's see. But if you count for inflation, three hundred dollars back in that day is equivalent to almost like ten grand. I wouldn't say ten grand, but yeah, I know what you mean. Inflation is crazy, but still, like, imagine you just go it's like, like what happened with this film. Like, you take a picture of some creepy whatever the Natalie photo looks like. We'll look it up later. Yeah, and all of a sudden. A direct, like, some random dude you don't know whether you know who Scott Derrickson is or not. And goes, hey, I'm going to buy this off of you for $500. And you go, okay, sure. And then you find out that your image is used in a movie. I'd be like, bruh, that's not cool, man. Um, I'm going to continue on with the last bit of the paragraph. Yeah, principal photography. <clears throat> principal photography for Sinister began in autumn of 2011 after Ethan Hawke and Juliet Rylance... R- Rylance? Signed on to star in the film, the Super 8 segments were shot first, using actual Super 8 camera footage, as I stated before, and film stock, in order to maintain an, uh, an aesthetic authentic of home shot Super 8 footage. The film was a co-production between the United States, Canada, and the United Kingdom. Principal photography took place on Long Island, really. Long Island! Really? Was, yeah, I think the was house that, was that probably the campsite? Stuff. I think, um, no, I think the house is actually over here. One of the houses. Ooh, okay. I don't know which house, but I think one of the houses is here. I, I think or it was it probably was one of the, the um, more expensive house. Probably. Or it was, um, one of the campsites for the Super 8 footage, like you said. I yes. think it was the one, I, th- I think it was, um, the family barbecue one. Um, in an interview with Bleeding Cool, screenwriter, uh, Cargrill. <clears throat> Admitted that Hawk's character got his name, um, Ellison Oswald, from the writer um, Harlan uh, Ellison and comedian writer Pat Oswald. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, Car- <laughs> Cargrove kept books by both men on his shelf. That's just a fun little note at the end. That the guy was like, yeah, I like Patton Oswalt and Harlan Ellison, so I'm going to make my characters both of them. <laughs> and I was like, that's cool. Oh, that's... F- okay, so I-, I found the image of... Natalie? Uh, Natalie. Yo, send it in Discord. I want to see it. Live reaction. It's <laughs> fucked. Hold on. Yeah, yeah, take your time. Uh, yeah. So, time this image is so fucked. I hate it. I hate this. Even though Doesn't this even... is probably from, like, Sinister 2. So, just, like, imagine th- this is your sleep paralysis demon. Oh, pass! Don't like that! <laughs> That's your sleep paralysis demon right there. I do not. That looks exactly like the creature. They were just like, I want this. Uh, so, uh, unless this is taken from... Sinister 2? Yeah, but like other than that, though, like it, it's still like... I'll, I'll do some double uh, research once we get through the episode, and then we'll fact check ourselves. But that is fucking creepy. And it looks very similar to what the guy looks like, so hopefully that is actually the design. Unless that, again, is from Sinister 2. I, I think which it is I might watch cause... Sinister 2 like tomorrow or something. I'm kind of interested. Because <laughs> I, I typed in um Sinister Natalie, yeah. and like... This is everything coming up of of him. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, we shall see then. Yes, now on to the plot. Hunter, you want to read that first paragraph for us? <clears throat> True crime writer Ellison Oswald moves into a home with his wife Tracy, their 12-year-old son Trevor, and their 7-year-old daughter Ashley. A decade earlier, Ellison's book Kentucky Blood was a bestseller, but he has struggled to make an impact with subsequent works. Unbeknownst to Ellison's family, he has moved them into a home where a family was brutally murdered, all hanged by ropes on a tree in the backyard, which is the opening we get. Ellison intends to use the case of the murdered family as the basis for his new book and hopes that his research will uh, reveal the fate of the Stevenson family's fifth member, an 11, a 10-year-old girl named Stephanie, who disappeared following the murders. Later that night, Ellison discovers, uh, <laughs> discovers in a box, screaming, Trevor, who is having a night terror. So that sentence does a little bit of a dip. Um, After he um, like settles his office down, he goes into the attic and he finds the um, the box of the super eights. He brings it downstairs. He sets up his murder board. He starts watching them after he has a conversation with his wife. And then after watching a couple videos, uh, a couple of the movies, he starts hearing like these um, noises in his house. And then he uh, goes. I think he goes, like, outside or the backyard or to the kitchen or something. He and goes... Trevor is just screaming inside of a box. Um, no, he he, he doesn't do anything. I think he, he just walks around. Because uh, at first, it, it was oh, his know, daughter. Ethan Hawke just walks around, yeah. At, at first, oh, yeah, it was oh, yeah, his daughter yeah, 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 yeah. His the daughter had to pee. And then he comes back. And, and then he, he watches like, another one. Bitch. Yeah, and then he hears it again, and then he goes to see that Trevor is screaming in the bathroom, uh, screaming in the box, which I think is fucking funny. Well, okay, I want to know, okay, he got in the box, and then he yeah. closed the box. Yeah, bro. <laughs> I, I have a feeling like, um, some, some, some Mr. Bookie probably wanted Trevor. But then discovered that he screams when he's sleeping, so he was like, can't have that guy. He he's alerts like, the guards. He's like, nah, <laughs> I, I already have a few bad apples. I can't have this one. I think that's why, because um, because Trevor is, in a sense, broken. He has yeah. night. He has uh, he has a history of night terrors. M- maybe that's why, uh, Bagulu g- gave up on on Trevor. Mm-hmm. It's entirely possible. 
I, I like to think it was because the night terrorist, because he starts screaming. <laughs> it's like, oh, nope. And Bakul was like, nope, drop him in the box. <laughs> um, He's like, if I put him in the box and close it, he won't know. <laughs> so, uh, a fun tidbit, though, about that opening scene, though, where we see the, the family get hung. That actually is a practical effect. You know that the actors did not actually get hung on set. They were, of course, on harnesses with ropes around them. But uh, a stunt coordinator almost fucked it up and almost killed one of the actors by actually hanging them. Yeah, bro, it happens. There's a couple scenes. I think in Now You See Me, uh, I think it's Catherine Langford, but I'm not 100% positive. I forget who's in that film. Um, they are in, they're drowning inside that pool of water, and they're actually drowning, and it looks like she's acting just really, really well. Turns out, nah, she was legitimately drowning in that film, and they almost let her die. And then they realized she was actually drowning, and they broke her out of it. <laughs> that's how that actually, um, that's how the pool scene went. They actually put them under the water for a bit. Yeah, tied them up, put them under the water, have fun. It's like, hey, how much would we pay you to go underwater? <laughs> it's know. pool party time. <laughs> I have a feeling that those extras did not get paid enough. <laughs> they know. Those, act- those extras should got to paid a lot more. Yeah. Uh, do you want me to read the next big one, or do you want to read that one? Uh, you, you can read that big one, because I know I'm going to fucking kill myself after it. <laughs> Ellison finds a box in the attic that contains a projector and several reels of Super 8 millimeter footage that are each labeled as home movies. Ellison discovers that the films are actually murder footage depicting different families being murdered in various ways, including hanging, drowning, throat cutting, and arson. I believe it's uh, hanging out, barbecue... Family barbecue, pool party, and uh, what's the slashing one? Um, that's throat cutting. Throat cutting. Uh, it goes. It goes. Family barbecue. You know, I'll, I'll I'll look it up on. Yeah, I'll continue reading. Yes. Each uh, murder is performed by an unseen person holding a camera and filming the killings. Ellison notes the appearance of a mysterious semicircle symbol in the films, as well as a strange mass figure. One night, when Ellison's family are away. The power shuts down and he hears strange noises coming from the attic. Following the noises, he finds a mysterious drawing of a childlike uh, in a childlike manner, which depicts the murderers and a strange figure of Mr. Boogie standing next to the victims. Ellison then suddenly falls down a hole in the attic, thus slightly injuring his leg. Okay, Consulting a local deputy, who he names Deputy So and So, in a bid to uh, thank you acknowledgement Ellison's next book. What were you saying? Uh, I have the stuff uh, kind of in order. It doesn't need to be in order. I just need to know the names. Uh, we have hanging out, uh, yeah. family hanging out, uh, barbecue, pool party, sleepy time. Sleepy time. <laughs> and lawn week. Lawn week. Okay. No, wait, yeah, no, yeah. no, wait, no, wait, wait. Lawn work. Lawn work. I like sleepy time. <laughs> My favorite's house painting. We'll get to that one later, though. <laughs> <laughs> that made me fucking laugh. Um... Deputy so-and-so, and to get a thank you acknowledgement else in the next book, they discover that the murders took place at different times, beginning in the 1960s and different cities across the country. He also learns that a child from each family went missing following the murder. Meanwhile, strange things happen in the house. The deputy refers Ellison to Professor Jonas, played by Vincent D'Onofrio, whose expertise in the, is the occult to decipher the symbol in the films. Jonas tells Ellison that such symbols refer to an ancient and obscure pagan deity named Bagul who would kill entire families and take one child in order to slowly consume their soul. Jonas suspects the murders are part of a cultic initiate rite, rather than the work of a single person stretching across the decades. But turns out it's a fucking ghost, I guess. <laughs> so, 
Uh, I think I want to. I want to make sure. So uh, when I'm, I'm looking back at, it, so I I just I, I screen grabbed the um kind of like the, the the tape names. I think one might not fully add up to its time era. What do you mean? Uh, lawn work. I think that one took place in eighty in in, in eighty six. Mm-hmm. And yet, the styling of the clothes kind of doesn't fit that. Interesting. What does the style of the clothes fit? Is it more modern or is yeah, it like it, it's more modern. It's more close to the same time as uh, family hanging out in two thousand eleven. Mm, weird. That's just something I notice, but also I'm a fucking loser who just likes. You're big out into stuff. film details. <laughs> yeah. Ahem. Do you want to join? Uh, join. Do you want to keep reading on the notes? With uh, yeah. Okay, I'll read the three paragraphs because they're small. The three. Yeah, because you got one night. Oh wait, no, that's two. My read bad. the two, and then I'll read the last one. Yeah. <laughs> one night, Ellison hears a film projector running and finds the missing children seated seated in the attic. Dude, watching... that scene. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> watching one of the films, Mister Bookie suddenly appears on camera before physically appearing before Ellison's face, causing him to fall off the ladder. Ellison takes the camera projector and the film outside. Well, before that, they are thrown at him through the hole in the, hole in the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, ten, he, then takes the, he then takes the camera, projector, and all the films outside and burns them with lighter fluid. His wife meets him outside and tells him... Um, his wife meets him outside... He, th- he then tells her they're moving back to their old house immediately. At his old house, Ellison re- receives a video message from Jonas. Well, he calls Jonas, who sends him scans of historical images associated with Mr. Boogie, who, which includes the symbol seen in the murder movies. Um, early Christians believe the image of Bogulu served as a gateway to the de- for that demon to come from the spiritual realm to the mortal world and children who become more in contact with these images can be possessed. Yeah. They said that sometimes, um, just looking at the images can get you possessed by Bagul. So I thought that was pretty cool, but actually, it was also cool. What? What did you say? No, well, what, what that part, what that paragraph fails to, um, say is that, that Bagul can come in many forms, either as a scorpion, a snake or a dog. Yeah, which we, we see, see all three, three times. times. Yeah, we see the scorpion at the beginning. We see the snake in the middle. We see the dog right as he uh, right before he burns the thing down. Yes, doing that dog scene, you can see all the kids standing behind him, and I'm like, "Turn around, turn around!" There are children behind you. You're like, "No!" I'm like, "This motherfucker." Um, the, the, um, what this also plot that we totally didn't take from anywhere uh, fails to mention also is that um. When Jonas, uh, no, no, when, um, yeah, I think he, yeah, Jonas gets a message when, oh my God, when, when Ellison gets the message from Jonas, he also mentions, um, that he's like, what happens if you burn the gateway? Does that mean that like, does it go away? If I burn the gateway, it'll be gone. And then Jonas is like, no, <laughs> it's like, what do you mean? What have you done? Yeah. And then in the next paragraph, you can continue on. Um, 
Uh, Ellison discovers the unharmed projector and film in in his attic of the old house he used to live in, exactly as he did in the new house, along with an envelope of film labeled Extended Cut Endings. Oh. And that's when all the kids show up in all the movies. Deputy so-and-so calls and informs Ellison that uh, further research indicates every murder family has previously lived in the house where the last murder took place. And each new murder occurred shortly after the family moved from the crime scene into a new residence. By moving, Ellison has placed himself and his family in the line to be the next victims. So basically what so-and-so said, he's like, you moved up his timeline. What so-and-so was trying to say was, if you lived in that new house, even if you watched the projector and you didn't move away, you would be fit. You'd be safe. But since you moved, you're dead. <laughs> That's such a weird thing, though. Like, I w- would you rather suffer like so much, like, like so supernatural torment, or move? I would rather not die. So, <laughs> yeah, by by your by your youngest daughter wielding a fucking fire axe. Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> God. That thing was as big as she is. Yeah, I was like, she's carrying this thing around? Are you kidding me? Alright, if you want to read that last paragraph. (laughs) The last paragraph. The extra footage depicts the missing children coming on screen following each murder, revealing themselves to be the killers under Bagul's influence, before suddenly disappearing. Ellison becomes lightheaded, and before losing consciousness, notices a bright green liquid mixed into his coffee in the cup, along with a note reading, Good night, Daddy. (laughs) Creepy. (laughs) <laughs> Ellison awakens to find himself, Tracy, and Trevor bound and gagged on the floor. Ashley, under Bagul's possession, approaches them, filming with an 8mm camera, and murders them all on camera with a fucking axe, using their blood to paint pictures on the house walls along with Bagul's symbol on the door. Ashley then views the film of her murders while drawing the murderer in uh, uh, while draw yeah, while drawing the murder in the lid of the home movie box. The missing children stare at her through the camera, but flee when Bagul appears. He sweeps Ashley off her legs, like sweeps her off her feet, and teleports her into the film um, so that he would eventually consume her soul. The box of films is seen sitting in the uh, Oswald family's attic, now accompanied by Ashley's reel labeled <laughs> House Painting 2012. Bagul then suddenly jumps, the, jump scares the screen until it cuts to black. That's the end of the fucking film. Crazy. I, so, um, crazy. I at first I I thought the green like glowing liquid was just someone broke open a, a glow stick and dropped it into the <laughs> time the poison. Drink bleach, bitch. But um, but apparently <laughs> that that's actually well, what comes out of Bagulu. Ew. So, cause if you see when he is carrying, uh, whatever her name is, Ashley. Ashley. Um, he, he's covered in it. Oh, interesting. Interesting, indeed. And the scorpion, when you see the goop of the scorpion, it's a little green, too. Now, Hunter, I I want you, I want to hear these notes of a madman. So, this morning, I watched the movie at like 8.30 this morning, after I got a nice, healthy, fruity pebbles breakfast, and I was, 
like because uh, usually we just re we just watch the movie and then we just talk about it. But I decided to do some mid movie notes because I knew I've never seen this horror movie and I heard it's actually scary. Kind of was, kind of wasn't. I wish it was a little bit more scary, but it is what it is. So here are some Hunter mid movie notes. Hopefully this will be a new section in the show because this is stupid and fun for me to do. <clears throat> the first note. Fuck no! When he moved on the computer, absolutely no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> There's the scene where um, uh, Ethan Hunt is Ethan Hunt, <laughs> not Mission Impossible. Ethan Hawke is zooming in on all of the um, the videos and getting like screen grabs of uh, Bagul. And there's that one in the um, the family barbecue where it zooms in on him in the back door. And as Ethan is looking down, or Ellison, whatever, he's looking down to, like, the printer. The face moves and looks at him and then moves back. And I was like, uh-uh, pass. Absolutely not. <laughs> this is not happening. <clears throat> My next note comes from when fucking Ethan Hawke just decides to walk around the house when he hears spooky noises in the middle of the night. This one is... Ethan Hawke needs to stop drinking dumb bitch juice. <laughs> Listen, he he pounded back whiskey like it was water. <laughs> Dude, he was a crazy whiskey man. But, like, he just needs to stop running around in the house and going, I'm not going to wake anybody up. I'm just going to go investigate and not turn on any lights. I know at one point there was a power outage, but fucking still. If I was ever in a horror movie, I would not... Like, you don't know you're in a horror movie until you get murdered. But, like... If I'm investigating snuff films and I hear moves, in, I hear things moving in the house. I lock my door. I batten down the hatches. I hang out. <laughs> well, remember, like, like if you go off by the scream rules of of a horror movie, we're both dead because we're not virgins. That is true. We do we're... get to die, but we didn't lose our virginity in the horror movie because it's way past the time. God so, damn it! <laughs> I think we'll be okay. The virgins who lose their virgin, uh, the, the people who lose their virginity during the quote unquote filming, they get murdered. Yeah. So we're safe because we're veterans. <laughs> kind of. <clears throat> My next note, which I find hilarious, his little shitty son needs to stop being a spooky bitch. <laughs> Listen, his son's fucking like emo as hell. Dude, I know. He sounds like blasting loud music and just like... <sighs> has has long, long hair. I thought it was a daughter at first. Same. I was like, wait a minute. Like, Isn't there like a son here? Maybe maybe like this is just his kids from, from a current marriage and the son's going to come up in a, a, from, from a second marriage. Nope. 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 I remembered wrong. This boy had such long hair and such a girlish face. Yeah, it was weird. But also, he was young. I think he was like 11 or some shit. Yes. So the actor was either 12, 13 or 12 or 9. Because sometimes they're like, yeah, he looks 11, he's fine, he's tall. So, <clears throat> the fourth slash fifth note. Vincent D'Onofrio Zoom call, why? And then, when he gets called back, D'Onofrio lore dump time. <laughs> Because at first I was like, I didn't even know D'Onofrio was in this film. And all they're doing is literally having him phone it in. That seems weird to get to, like an actor like Vincent D'Onofrio to do that. And then he jumps back in one more scene about the end of the film. And he's dropping all the lore dumps about Bagul. And I was like, oh. I still doesn't explain why he's in the film, but I guess it works. 
I got so confused for a second. So I, I'm looking at um, I'm, I'm still looking at Sinister on Google. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, okay. Let me see. Like, I want to see the cast of Sinister so I can at least get this kid's age. God, he's 22 years old now. Well, think, dude, that was like eight years ago. So he was like 12 on that film. No, he was uh 14. Wait, math. And he's from Long Island too. I think um. Yeah, because they did a lot of filming on Long Island. What's and his name? Uh, okay, I got Incredible. confused. He was in um, he was in Sinister Two. I'm like, wait a minute, why is he in Sinister Two? Oh wait, oh wait a minute, I know why he's in Sinister Two. Yeah, because they probably played the film. I got I got confused, man. Leave me alone. <laughs> I got so confused. Um, the the next note. Don't walk up the ladder, you moron. Dot, dot, dot. Kids in the goddamn attic. <laughs> Stop watching the films, you idiot. <laughs> yeah, that's my next one. Stop watching the films, you idiot. Because after he goes up into the attic and sees the kids, and then the, he gets thrown at him, then he burns it. He he brings them to his house, the new, the old house, and he starts watching them because they have the extended cut. And I'm like, why the fuck are you still watching them? What are you doing? Just just leave. So yeah, stop watching the films, you idiot, was the note after that. And uh, I still got three more notes. I took a lot more than I thought. <clears throat> Obviously, Ghost Man makes the kids do it. He ain't real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that came around the same time as the D'Onofrio lore dump, where they were talking about um how uh, the kids can like get taken over by Bagul and, like, do his bidding. And I was like, oh, yeah, he ain't real. He's just a ghost. So, ghost man ain't real. <laughs> and then you then you see him, you're like, oh, he's real. He's real-ish. Um, second to last note, would have made more sense if they got the son to be possessed, not the daughter. Axe murder? It's purge all over again. Ethan is never safe. <laughs> yeah, but, like, hey, I, I think we probably cleared up why the son was never picked. Yeah, because of the Night Terrors. <laughs> yeah. Which just seems like an interesting, like, Willy Wonka-ass move. Because, like, I can imagine um, Bagul picking up the picking up Trevor and walking away. And all of a sudden, Trevor starts screaming and he goes, uh, 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 fuck. Uh, and he puts him in a box and runs away. <laughs> See, the, in that, that has to be, like, a, a bit in, like, one of the scary movies. Uh, yeah, or, like, an uh, SNL scene. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. uh, uh, he won't shut up. Uh, uh, drop him in the box, run away. <laughs> I'll go get the daughter. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. And then your last note. And the last note. House painting, I'm fucking dying. Right when she labeled it house painting, I was like, that's the best. That There's no way anything beats that. <laughs> uh, now, let me read my notes. <laughs> so, so, so my notes are not as hilarious as Hunter's. Because mine were panic. <laughs> um, I, I brought up earlier that there's no special effects. This film was all done in practical practical stuff including the hanging scene the only real jump scare that always gets me is that lawn mowing scene which was not brought up in the plot that film was not brought up at all well because yeah no it wasn't even brought up in like the original like arson and and this and that and also yeah, um so uh y- y- you know what what rating Sin- sinister got right it was an r-rated film yeah because it's got disturbing imagery yeah and there's like someone like realized like yeah like so Within within Sinister, it's rated R, but yet there's no there's no there's no nudity, there's no gore really. Barely, there's barely there, any swearing. 
The problem the, is it depicts snuff films. There's in, in a, there's in two f bombs in the entire film, but I don't. I, I as as the reviewer said, we don't know where they are. I don't remember the f bombs being dropped at all, but yeah, there's there's two f bombs in the entire film. Probably the kid says one, and then the mom says one. I would assume, or Ethan says one where he's fucking yelling at his wife. Yeah. Um. Well, so I I promise like. This film still really disturbs me upon my second time seeing it with its initial DVD release. Uh, it's disturbing in nature. It's an overall great horror film. And I said, Mr. Bookie looks like what what would shop at a Hot Topic in 2009. <laughs> uh, I, I will be watching part two on, on my own time, though. So I think I, can... I will be, too. Hey, if it, we both it, watch it, we should just add another bonus episode to the spooky month. <laughs> Maybe, because it's on Netflix. Sinister 2's on Netflix? Yep. And not Sinister 1. <laughs> I was going to say, Sinister 1 wasn't on Netflix. Sinister 2 is. Sweet. I'll definitely watch that probably, like, tomorrow morning. <laughs> and we'll find a way to record it. <laughs> eh, we'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah. As long as you, oh, yeah, there it is. Sinister 2. Add it to the list. <laughs> uh, I, 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 this is a good, like, this is a good disturbing film. I, 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 I love horror movies as much as the next person my favorites are found footage, yeah. but um, if I if I am to see like one that kind of just doesn't play into tropes that much, I I like just overall thrilling and disturbing films like the um the girl at the end of the at the end of the road mm. with uh, Jennifer Lawrence. You know I've been getting really into horror films lately. I've been um, it looks familiar. Uh, okay, that's funny. I've just been, um, sorry, I was reading a plot for Seven in Heaven. Um, I've been getting really into <laughs> horror films lately. Like, I've been watching, um, random ass horror movies just because I'm like, because back when I was younger, I was afraid of horror movies because I'm a big pussy. And eventually I was just like, this shit ain't real. I'll be fine. So I just started watching a bunch of horror movies and I've, I've found out that I'm missing out on so much. Horror movies are such like a staple in the film genre that I wish I started watching them when I was younger. If you want to watch a good um, horror movie, watch Creep. Ah, uh, Creep's on the list. It's so good. Yeah, that's got, uh, what's his face? Uh, Duplass in it, right, Mark? Yes. Yeah. And he's like, this, this creepy dude is like, come hang out with me. And then he like murders people, right? Uh, in a sense, yes. Okay. I, I do want to see Wreck, though. Wreck is one film I have yet to find a good copy of. Wreck or The Wretched? Wreck. Or, what's that or, one about? Uh, um, oddly enough, I have the plot right here. Um, before the before the shot for shot American remake of Quarantine, uh, this uh claustrophobic Spanish found footage um effort brought a fresh dose of claustrophobic and terror to the zombie genre. A TV reporter and her cameraman are conducting a routine interview at a local fire station when an emergency call comes in. Uh, accompanying the firefighters to a nearby apartment, the news team begins recording the blood-curdling screams coming from inside an elderly woman's unit. After authorities seal off the building to contain the threat, uh, the news crew, firefighters, and residents are stuck facing a lethal terror inside. With the camera running, a survival for everyone involving seems unlikely wreck is quite unsettling as it moves as a restless clip using found footage devices to inject a new kind of intimacy to the zombie concept 
Interesting. I will not be watching that. I don't like claustrophobic films. <laughs> but the Blair Witch, though. And I've actually never seen Blair and Witch. Cannibal. I oh, Cannibal Holocaust. Something else we gotta watch. Cannibal Holocaust. Pass. <laughs> That's Anything with that too much gore of. that isn't a comedy, I don't like. Cannibal uh, Holocaust sounds like it's gonna be a lot of gore. And, and, like you can't and watch who, Green Inferno too much. And how can we forget VHS? I actually never seen that one. Oh my gosh, you have to watch them. They're so like they're funny, but fucked up all at the same time. It reminds me of like Sinister if it was not on eighty eight millimeter, where it's like watching in the ring, watching this movie makes you die. Yeah. Um. So. Let's move on to the reviews and reception. I actually started putting in, this is the first time we're going to do this. I have a, like the Rotten Tomatoes score and like some other stuff, like a quick review from other people before we get to ours to see if like our reviews are too high or too low or if we're a little more, you know, prone to liking it. So Sinister received a score of 63% on Rotten Tomatoes based on 153 reviews with an average rating of 6.24 out of 10. The critical consensus states its plot hinges on typically implausible horror movie behavior and recycles countless genre cliches, but Sinister delivers a surprising number of fresh diabolical twists. The film has also uh, the film also has a score of 53 out of 100 on Metacritic based on 30 critics uh, indicating its mixed or average reviews. So, Zach, what reviews did we give it? <laughs> um, I gave it... Eight Mr. Boogie's marriage carrying me into the projection out of ten. <laughs> and I gave it seven house paintings out of ten. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we kind of gave it, like, uh, in our opinion, this is a fair rating. Um, upon oh, yeah, this, no. is, this is like my, my second time seeing it. This is your first time. I think this is all fair. Yeah, no, I, I definitely could see what they gleam from it only being, like, a six out of ten or, like, a, like a five and a half out of ten. Like, I, I see what they mean. Like, it's got a lot of cliches. It's not spooky enough. It, it really goes on the, uh, the shock factor with the murders. And um, with, with such a shoestring budget, it comes off as like they could have done a lot more with a bigger budget. But I'm honestly glad they didn't because it comes off as like a nice, easy, refreshing film. Because I feel like Sinister 2, the budget I heard, I think, don't quote me, is much bigger. And it, that's why it didn't do as well. Do you want then me to again, haven't up? seen Sinister 2 yet. You, no, but wait, because if we do watch Sinister 2 and then we do end up recording an episode about it, we'll just talk about it then. Maybe we'll do like a mini-sode where we just talk about the plot and what di- what the differences are. All right. Yeah. So, <clears throat> Zach, do you want to close us out? Uh. Unless you have any closing arguments. Uh, no, I got no closing arguments. I'm just like, I, I, I want us to kill as much time as possible. <laughs> um, We're at 54 minutes. We're pretty good. So the outro, guys, you all know what it is. Thank you all for listening. You can follow us on Instagram at Box Office Losers and on Twitter at Box Losers. For up-to-date news, you mainly follow us on Instagram. The Twitter is just there for the sake of being there. Twitter is basically a retweet bot where we just tweet out the episodes. Yes. Uh, don't, forget to, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share with your friends. Please do all that, especially on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get up the numbers where... We're climbing. Um, <laughs> we're climbing, but our, our numbers are good. Our, our listen numbers are fantastic. Uh, yeah, for a podcast that's only eight episodes in, I think we're doing great. I, I see our I see our, our demographics on Anchor. So to our international listeners, thank you. We really do appreciate it. Sure, our audience is one hundred percent male. No females listen to us. It happens. It's because we're just too manly. 
They can't handle us. <laughs> so, yeah. Though we, we, do, we do appreciate all of our listeners from, from from the United States to overseas, everywhere. Thank you. Uh, for for up-to-date stuff about me, you can follow me on my personal Twitter at DarkShadowsAke. You can follow me on Instagram at DarkShadowsAke as well. Uh, on TikTok as well at DarkShadowsAke. I don't know. Fuck it. Hunter, <laughs> where can they find you? Well, they can also find you at the Sports Hit List. Yes, they can. I'm actually going to be on the Sports Hit List after I'm recording and editing. Nice, nice, nice. Yes. <clears throat> so you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Scruffy Moose Man. You can also follow me on TikTok, I guess. We're going to pimp that out. Uh, Scruffy Moose Man as well. Um, I, have a pod- I have two podcasts that come out every Tuesday and Wednesday. The Tuesday podcast is called Pound That Button. Me and my two buddies sit down and talk about PlayStation games and PlayStation in general. And gaming in general. And then Android's Amazing Podcast, which comes out Wednesday, which is a comic book news show where me and my co-host, uh, James, who is also my co-worker at the store I work at, we talk about new reviews, what's happening in the world of comics, and then we talk about a topic, like this week we talked about villains. So definitely go check that out. And Thank you guys for listening. We also, love you. Be- be- before we fully stop recording, maybe I might make a box office loser TikTok for us so when we can no longer be social distance. We could do some we can fun do stuff. D- dumb like Halloween jokes or something. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds fun. All, all right, right, guys. Thank you all for listening. Catch you all later. Oh, peace. I like that you made the movies longer. They're better this way. <laughs>